and welcome to In Good Company, a podcast presented by me, Carrie Grant, tackling the issue of loneliness. It's commissioned by Fittleworth, one of the largest home delivery services of medical devices like catheters and stoma pouches. This podcast series is all about reconnecting people. We want to ensure that no matter where you are in the country, if you're feeling lonely or isolated, you have the tools and support to take the first step in reconnecting with others. According to GovUK, nearly three quarters of us admit to not telling anybody when we feel lonely, despite most of us having someone we can count on. And with everything that's going on in the world right now, almost everyone has now been affected by some form of loneliness. Research from the Office of National Statistics released earlier this summer for Loneliness Awareness Week suggests that 7.4 million people have suffered from lockdown loneliness. And as restrictions continue, people's feelings are understandably heightened right now, and it's more challenging than ever to connect. But what of those who were already experiencing loneliness even before this pandemic took hold? Those who are vulnerable and continuing to self-isolate? In the fourth instalment of this podcast series, I'll be speaking with Laith Abdullah, a spinal cord injury patient and Fittleworth ambassador adjusting to a new life after injury. Also joining the conversation will be Tracy Geddes, an advanced nurse practitioner specialising in spinal cord injury patients, and Chris Yates, an outreach and support worker at the specialist charity Back Up Trust. Tracy and Chris will each share their guidance on tackling loneliness by reconnecting with people and re-establishing life after diagnosis. So sit back and relax. You're in good company. Leith, thank you for joining us today. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience? Yes, thanks, Carrie. So I had an accident four years ago. I simply fell off my bicycle, hit a lamppost, uh, and that's what actually broke my back. Um, and I was left paralysed at the age of 40. Um, and, yeah, I was married. Um, I am married. <laughs> uh, I have three beautiful kids and uh, was always very physically active. Um, my wife and I run our own business together. And, yeah, obviously my life got turned upside down, quite literally. Gosh, and of course, you're immediately, your first adapting is your physical needs. But at the same time as you were having to cope with the physical things that were going on, what was happening with you emotionally, mentally? So in the early days, I was actually thinking more about my wife um, and you know, I, like I said, we run our own business in an event catering company. Um, so we were actually running, you know, even weddings. And my wife was looking after th our three children, but I think three, five and six, they were young. Oh, my god! She had a business to run. She was trying also to um, coordinate all the workers to, 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 to try and make my house accessible, you know, yeah. fit a wet room in and uh, even just, you know, ramp up to the, to, to the front door to, to eliminate the steps. So she was so busy but also needing and wanting to be by my side every day of course. Um, so for me I um you know and for, well I actually felt for her because obviously uh, you know with our loved ones we we try and um protect them and, and and do things for them so 
there was a little bit of me that didn't necessarily feel quite so sorry for myself and that has probably impacted on 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 you know my, the late the later journey where uh, I ha- maybe haven't ever grieved the loss yeah. that I've that I've incurred so they talk at hospital about a, you know this grief cycle and I didn't quite get it and I didn't quite feel sad enough at the time that it happened to me in the early days uh, I actually shared a, a room in the hospital with three other guys who had all broken their necks Unfortunately, wow. and you know, I was the only guy in that room that could brush my own teeth and feed myself and wow. um, self catheterize. So, you know, straight away there, you know, I realized that in life, life can be, um, you know, even more challenging than it was for me. So, in those early days, I didn't really experience much um, overwhelming loss and grief and sadness. I was just, you know, busy getting used to uh, managing bowels and bladder and everything else yeah. that goes with the spinal cord injury. But um, I didn't feel lonely. And in fact, actually, I was, again, I'm, I'm a very sociable guy and I've got a great support network of friends and family. And I was inundated constantly with visitors uh, to the point where actually I quite enjoyed um, not having people there by my bedside where I could just almost get myself lost in movies, um, which I, you know, which was, which, which, which was more easy almost to deal with just to to allow my, my brain to, to be lost in a movie, for example, than to um, talk to, to friends and, and let them know how I was doing or how, you know, how I wasn't doing. It is amazing how the brain works in order to sort of self-preserve us almost through those really difficult experiences. And it sort of allows us to turn a chapter when we're ready to turn the page. I just want to pick up on something you said, though, there about lots of friends coming. You sound like you're a bit of a networker. You're someone who's very sociable. It, how was that? How was it with your friends? Were they able to relate to you in the same way, or were you sort of perceiving them perceiving you differently? That's a great question. So it's, it's funny because I didn't I didn't shed tears. I didn't cry much. I mean, I, um, yeah. it, but the times that I did cry and I did feel overwhelmed with emotion were the times when people, friends, especially you know, uh, uh, would come in and see me in the hospital bed broken. Yeah. You know, I uh, was lying there and. You know, the my body would would look different, I suppose, the way my legs would, would would be on the bed, and you know, to sense and see their sadness, yeah. invoked something in me which made me feel you know really really sad, uh, and it felt as if I was being sad for them, and and that's how it felt for me at the time. But obviously, yes. I was I was aware of that, but in the times on my own, um, I didn't cry and I didn't feel that sadness for myself because the truth is, Carrie, you know, I. I I've got a great life and, and my life was great before the accident and yeah. uh, I'm a po- naturally a very positive person and I could see how life could still be great irrespective of this um, serious accident. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I'm married to a great woman. I have three kids, uh, yeah. lots of friends and, and a great family and I knew it was going to be a challenge and I know it was going to be different, but uh, my, my brain, fortunately for me and a lot of friends were saying this, you know, literally from day one, you know, if this could happen to anybody, if anybody could overcome this, it would be you, Leith. Um, so that, that, that helped me. However, I think this is where I want to, you know, talk about the impact of loneliness and reconnecting because I can, I can feel that now. And yes. knowing that I'm a very sociable person who has always got people around me, for me to, to, to feel lonely at times and for me to feel disconnected at times, uh, it makes me think that, the, you know, for, for, the, for the vast majority of others who aren't maybe as sociable um, or as engaging as me, it's going to be even more difficult for them. 
But it's interesting that you say in those early days, you felt almost safer when you were alone. And that doesn't necessarily mean loneliness, but being alone, your own company felt easier. Like when you're saying you were watching movies, that just felt an easier situation to be in. Well, it did. And I think that stems from um, me probably wanting to reassure the people that that cared about me that I was okay. So, you know, inevitably it would be my family and my close friends that would be by my bedside. And, um, you know, to to sort of feel and sense their sadness and sorrow for me. Um, Sometimes I imagine I probably, looking back now, can see that I was probably trying to remain strong. Um, but the thing is, I, I actually, I think I am strong and I think that it was genuine and I don't think I was kidding myself because my brain, as you said before, we have, a, you know, an amazing ability to, to reframe and I was reframing uh, my life and my situation. So I think that in those times of being alone, I didn't feel like I was having to reassure anyone else or make anyone else feel, you know, yeah. it's okay. You're not carrying really anyone else. You're just carrying yourself yeah, at that absolutely. point, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned about your uh, catering company. That sounds like a really active job. That's hardly a desk job, is it? That's an out and about Mr. Sociable life. So on every front, it feels, seems to me from what I'm picking up that you're, you've been made literally to sit still. I mean, how is that for someone who is used to being incredibly active? That's really perceptive, actually, Carrie, because I live my life, you know, a million miles an hour. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, my life, in fact, it, it, you know, probably it must have been very difficult for my wife to, to sometimes keep up, you know, which I was aware of because I was I was the guy who yeah. would organise all the fun stuff at the weekends, you know, yeah. and organise the parties and the dinner parties. And <laughs> our house is always the place where the, the fun stuff happens. And we worked hard and we played hard and um, yeah. being forced to, as you just said, there, be still and, and not be running around. Um you know, has been a challenge. And again, it depends on how you look at life and, and the lessons that, you know, are brought to us because uh, it's all, I've, I've, I've chosen to look at this as it's almost forced me to slow down. Yeah. It's, I've been forced to, to, to slow down, which actually is a good thing. Um, you know, it can, be, well, it can be a good thing if you, if you choose to look at it that way. I'm really interested in you saying that, particularly at this time when we, many of us are being forced to be still, and that's not something we're necessarily comfortable with when, you know, throughout this whole lockdown period. How has that been for you? You're four years into your journey. So you've clearly adapted quite a lot in that four years from what you're saying. It sounds really, really positive. But how has lockdown been for you? Well, the initial lockdown, well, I actually was looking forward to it. As crazy as that sounds, and uh, my wife... <laughs> I love um, your attitude. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm really lucky. I am lucky to have this way of thinking. Um, but I mean, you know, don't, I, mean, I don't want to um, make you make you think that I actually, you know, I'm not human and, and I don't have low moments yeah. or um, moments when, you know, I, I am feeling lonely and not, and not connected with my, my friends. So I will be honest with you, um, my wife was so busy these last four years, you know, made, running this business, yeah. looking, when I say looking after the kids, you know, she's incredibly loving and nurturing. And the kids were young and looking after their needs, looking after my needs. And yeah. we didn't spend, we didn't really get enough quality time together. And we weren't, I didn't certainly feel as connected to her. Um, yeah. And so when we, our business was forced to um, to, 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 to stop trading uh, and the staff, being furloughed 
and it was summer, the idea for my, you know, my wife was looking forward to that moment, that time of not working again. And yeah. um, she's never actually had that, in fact, at that, that time of not working. But so it was the summer, the weather was great. And our kids, you know, we've got a little, you know, we've got a lovely little garden with goals and ta- I bought a table tennis table. So for me, I actually was entering this uh, lockdown thinking, this can be great and uh, a real, not a reconnection, but some fun playtime and some time for me and my wife to sit and enjoy. The reality of it, though, Carrie, was it didn't play out the way I had hoped it would or envisaged it would. And why um, is that? Well, I think because um, my wife and I, you know, it's been challenging and um, I think I was hoping that we would reconnect a little bit more. And unfortunately, the lots of different factors like the stress on me and my wife with what's going on in the business and all our staff and their livelihoods um, and, you know, cash flow issues. So in the early weeks, I was really stressed in, in, in trying to manage what was going to happen to our business and our finances and my staff's um, livelihoods. And that created an element of stress for me. Also, my wife, uh, who... <clears throat> has got a weak chest uh, and, and suffers from asthma. I think she was really worried about her health and she's become increasingly worried about her health since my accident. Yeah. And um, we just didn't seem to uh, necessarily manage to really relax and enjoy that time because there are always other pressures, aren't there, as you know? Yeah. And do you, and in, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? In all our relationships, friendships, even our relationships with our children, they do kind of have an undulation to them. So there are times where it's really good and it's it's prospering. And there are other times where it's almost as though, even though we know we want to be together, but it's slightly like leading parallel lives just because of the stresses that are on us. How have you guys managed to, or how are you getting through this period? Because obviously we're still in this, aren't we? So are do you feel like you're on a journey with that? Oh, absolutely on a journey, yeah. I mean, we've, so uh, through my, you know, re, my four-year journey, I have a, a gone and had one-to-one therapy um, yeah. because I realised I didn't grieve and uh, I thought, well, you know, if this is something I can go through yeah. uh, and, and open up um, emotions that I haven't tapped into, then I'd, I, you know, I, I engaged with that, had one-to-one therapy. My wife and I went for couples therapy, which was That's really helpful. so good. Well yeah. done. I love the fact that you're prepared to even say that. I think that so many couples feel like unless it's all perfect and, and we, we don't need any help, then clearly we're, we're the most in love couple, which is crazy. You know, let's, let's be honest about this stuff. I, that's brilliant. We both love each other. We both wanted to work, our relationship to work. And, and I think, yeah. um, you know, we are, she says that, you know, physically, but and, and it's inevitable that it would change me. Um, and... Um, yeah, so we, we had couples, and that was really, really helpful, actually. Uh, following that, you know, I, I continued to have more one-to-one, which was uh, one of the sort of the suggestions. And yeah. to be honest, I, I think what what we we both um, are in a position where we would like to continue with more couples, um, but the couples therapy, you know, it would have been very different uh, being done in lockdown because you can't uh, necessarily sit in a room with a therapist and it would have to be done virtually. So we haven't actually uh, continued on with that, but that is something that we will do um, as and when. You, you've said about um, reaching out. For, so you've had your couples therapy, you've had some one-to-one therapy. Uh, have there been any other ways that you've found, uh, whether they're outside support systems or just the decisions you've made about your own life, how you reconnect with others, with friends or with other people who might be in your situation? Is there anything that you've done in that realm? Yes. So 
I've actually had to work really hard because I have been struggling myself mentally. In fact, I, I want to say that um, I haven't really struggled much mentally through the last four years as much as I have in the last six months or so, eight months. Yeah. So this this is one of the reasons why you know I, you know I'm I'm comfortable talking about it because it has I have found it challenging. Um, so. With the support of my wife and a really good friend of mine who's actually a psychotherapist, you know, uh, they've guided me towards things like meditation, mindfulness, um, you know, so, you know, listening to um, meditations actually has been has been a really a good thing to do. So my wife is a big fan of Sarah Blondin. Um, and, you know, there's others that I've listened to. And, and uh, Leith, is that yeah. something you would ever have done before? No, I knew that I always like would have liked the idea of it, and um, you know would have would have said I was open to it, but I wouldn't have prioritised yeah. it. But in yeah. this this moment, you know, we all had more time, haven't we, um, to, to do some of the things that we don't do uh, every day. So I've had that time to to sit in the garden and put the headphones on and feel the sun on my face and listen. I know that all that sounds idyllic, but it uh, it has been good. So meditation is one. Um, and also writing, I mean, you know, with, with my wife and yeah. I having having found our relationship more challenging, what we did was we wrote um, our feelings down and our thoughts, you know, almost right yeah. into the other person. We, we, we shared them and, and it allowed us to express how we were feeling and, and, and probably listen um, yeah. without interjecting because I'm very guilty for interjecting sometimes. <laughs> You're <laughs> a chatterbox. Absolutely. <laughs> The friends that were visiting you in hospital that, yeah. that have been your friends did have all those relationships kind of got used to the fact that you're you're now slightly different from how you were before. Yes, yes, absolutely. Because I think the the, the friends that um, I you know in, allowed to come and visit me, if you like, because I didn't want everyone to come and visit me. Um, yeah. Those friendships were solid, and they are still now. And I don't think I've actually really lost any friends as a result of my accident. I know there are many others who have spinal cord injuries, many, many others who say that, you know, friendships uh, get lost. But um, I think because I don't see myself really that differently, yeah. I, I actually still think of myself as the same the same Laith Abdullah. And um, yeah. I don't really see myself differently. In that. I don't think they do either. Um, there are things that I can't do as easy, um, but sure. with friends, they're, they're so good at supporting you and making and finding a way to to involve you in whatever plans that, you know, we create together. So to finish, um, and what advice could you offer to people listening who are perhaps going through something similar themselves or have family members having similar experiences to yours and they're feeling alone? What advice would you give them? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, uh, well, I would say to stay connected to your, your loved ones. I think in this day and age, it's, it's so easy. You know, I know that with text, uh, some people prefer Messenger and WhatsApp, um, email. Yeah. It's so easy just um, to have those moments with, a, you know, with whatever device you have to, to reach out, drop someone a message, let them know you're thinking of them, or to organise a, a catch-up. And I know that catch-ups aren't easy at the minute with lockdowns, but um, staying connected um it, you know it's free and it's instant and it's it's easy to do um so that's certainly one thing that we i think we all do and um advice for others i would say would be you know the, your, your loved ones i think we all have time to to to, to sit uh, yeah. As we do with spinal cord injuries, and sit and re you know, realize what's important in life, and I think we all, I think we all know that it's our friends and family, um, and 
time with them is 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 the most precious thing. But I do feel Life. I want to give you I want to give you yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, this is so helpful. I, I feel like you've just thrown a load of keys at us, though. I think just your attitude is one of those things. The fact that actually, if you don't grieve immediately, that there's not a right and a wrong way of doing this. You know, it's important that we do the journey that we sit with most comfortably. And I, I like the fact that you've taken those that that longer period to to adjust perhaps to some of that grieving and taken it in stages, bite sized chunks, if you like rather than sort of taking it all in on in one go I love the fact that you've talked about meditation and uh, reconnecting I love the fact that you're prepared to go for therapy and I love the fact that you are writing down what you want to say to your wife and what your wife wants to say to you and and learning to listen all of these things are such great pieces of advice thank you uh Laith. you've given us some gold today uh so now we're going to uh, move on to Tracy and Chris Tracy Geddes is an advanced nurse practitioner specialising in spinal cord injuries. And Chris Yates is an outreach and support coordinator at Backup Trust. Tracy, if I could turn to you first, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay, um, I'm a nurse. I've been qualified for about 35 years. It makes me very old. I'm a native of Northern Ireland. I came to England um, to stay for about six months to the spinal unit. So I work in the National Spinal Injury Centre at Stoke Mandeville Hospital. And I've been there probably it's 30 years next year. Um, So I've always worked with patients with spinal cord injuries in various posts. So mainly um, with rehabilitation from acute right through to the rehab, right through to discharge. But I had a post for 10 years dealing with the patients um, that were then discharged um, into the community um, because we provide lifelong care most from most, well, all of the spinal units. So I've sort of grown up with the patients. I've seen them as teenagers, seen them get wow. married, um, seen them pass away, you know, um, gone through a pathway with them. I've been an advanced nurse practitioner for five years now massive big long title in neurogenic bladder (laughs) what it is but um that's what I do now but um I have like a dual role almost because I've been engaged to poor long-suffering Jason um who I met in the spinal unit 21 years ago um he had a spinal cord injury um very likely if he came off his motorcycle um bike and hit a lamppost as well and he broke his back and is paralyzed so I took my work home with me (laughs) Um, which is which is a bit naughty so it's almost a dual role that's me um so I can actually from a professional point of view um I am a hard task master in that <laughs> I'm, I'm a pure rehab nurse that I will you know as Leia says you come in broken and it's our job to get you out rehabilitated to you know, get on with your life really but I also see it from a partner point of view wow your work and your life. You are like the go-to person, Tracy. Uh, it's funny you said that. You are very perceptive because, yes, my messenger is always full. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and Chris, just to, to touch on, on your situation, tell us a little bit about your situation and what you do. Um, so, yeah, so yeah, my name is Chris Yates. I um, had a spinal cord injury back in 2006 um, from a car crash. And I'm fortunate enough to to know both Tracy uh, and Laith through work with uh, Laith and uh, with my rehab. At, I went to Stoke Mandeville Hospital for for my rehab, so so know Tracy through that, um, and can't for, forget her her lovely accent and her, her 
a beautiful self. So, um, yeah, and, and like Tracy said, uh, you know, you are looked after by your spinal unit for for life. Um, you know, you, you it's a gift that keeps on giving a, a spinal cord injury and, you know, you might get over your initial, um, you know, worries and concerns with your, your bladder and bowel or, you know, setting up a routine and chair, um, but it will throw something up. Uh, at you later down the line down the line so um it's good to know that um the support networks are, are there for you whether that be uh, a spinal center or um through uh, a charity like like backup or uh, the other spinal charities that are out there so with the work that you're doing with backup how do they help others that are in that sort of situation that that both you and Laith and tracy have talked about yeah, you're right. Everyone goes through their, their spinal cord injury journey differently. Um, our services, sort of the, the first point of contact with anyone uh, at backup would probably come from um, somebody like myself in the outreach and support team, uh, where we go around all the 11 spinal centres. Um, Pre-COVID would be in there uh, teaching wheelchair skills, uh, whether that be manual chair skills or, or power chair skills to help increase people's confidence and independence um, with the chair that they're more than likely going to be using for, for a long period of time. Um, and like I say, that, that gives us our in to, to, to talk to these people and, and on a peer level and show them that there, yes. there is life worth living. I was just about to say, yes. I mean, that's that's so much better than someone who hasn't been through any of this going in and just telling people what to do. So they must absolutely treasure you. Yeah, and it, like I say, it gives us the, 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 an insight into a network that's out there of, of support for them. Um, so leading off from the outreach team, services like we have a mentoring service, which is a bit more uh, one-to-one and, and more focused on the individual um, service, which is, is done over the phone. So it it still works within these these crazy COVID times. Um, and we have residential courses as well, which gets people um, out and about in, in the community. So um, we can get people challenging the perceptions of what they can do in, with, their, with their injury and their life. Which is so important. Challenging perceptions is one of my favourite things to do. Thank you for that, Chris. Tracy, coming back to you there, I mean, Chris has talked about obviously looking, having that peer support and, and a lot of that will be uh, the, the wheelchair using the skills of actually working your way around that. But obviously going alongside those physical needs and the demands of all or just everyday life, how are you helping people with their emotional mental world? Um, when patients, we, we when you're in the spinal cord injury world, we use a lot of terminology. Um, and initially, when somebody's first injured, we call them new lesions. <laughs> um, and when they've been injured quite a while, not because of their age, they're called old lesions. Um, but it's their length. You, you could sure be 35 really like with an old title. lesion. <laughs> you could be an old lesion, but you could be 35. Yeah. It's just your length of it, how long you've been injured. Um, and we shouldn't label people, but it's the terminology. Um, and what happens is that when somebody's when somebody's first injured, it is you know whether it's a traumatic or non-traumatic injury it is a traumatic thing that's happened in their life as Leith you know quite you know quite said um but they're actually I look at it you know it's part of rehab there's a lot of support there there's a lot of psychological support you've got peer group support you have psychologists there you have psychosexual counsellors you have family support counsellors um I think it's when because we all are a multidisciplinary team within the spinal units and in Northern Ireland, when you learn how to drive, you have an L plate. But what's yeah. different is that when you 
passed your test, you turn it over and you have a big R plate that you have to keep on your car for a year. And that means you're restricted to 45 miles an hour. And I hated it because I was 17. So I relate that to the patients. It's like you've gone through your rehab, you're ready for discharge, but you're almost putting your R plate. You're losing your learner plates, but you're putting your R plate on because they're in a bit of a bubble. Patients are in a bit of a bubble and um, they're quite you know, looked after when they're spinal unit and you can, I mean, Stoke Mandeville has the biggest unit. So, you know, we have about 70, 80 patients at the minute. So everybody is there for a reason. But then when they're discharged, you could be the only person in that community or under your GP that has a spinal cord injury. So it's quite difficult. So what I say to them, my, my dad was a great believer in quotes and and any patients of mine that that listen they'll say here she goes is that uh-huh. i believe i always talk about the three c's in life that you must make a choice to take a chance if you want your life to change and i add the tracy the fourth c is that you pay the consequences and it's a bit like me if i eat that chocolate if i want to lose weight and eat that bar of chocolate you make that choice you know if you yeah. don't eat it you make that change and it's a bit like the patients when they're discharged is that they, there's, as, as Chris said, there's always a network out there, the, this lifelong care in the spinal unit, so they can come back um, for appointments. We keep an eye on them and we bring them back every year um, to clinic. They can come in between that and be referred. They can self-refer. There's always somebody on the end of a line that can talk to them physically um, and even emotionally, um, which you can talk about later. I love this force. I love this four C's. It is great. But what I would also like to just interject with is even though we might have come to terms as much as we can at that point when we're in the hospital situation, how do we maintain the right mindset? Because that a lot of this surely is about, and we've seen this with Laith, everything that Laith said, it's just so much about mindset. What advice do you have for patients once they're out with regards to their, their mindset? What help can they access and, and how do they help themselves in that way? I think it's normalising isolation and loneliness, that feeling that way is nothing to be ashamed of, it's not their fault. And um, to ask for support. And support can come in different ways. And I usually, my um, is usually is talk to backup. Pick that phone up and talk to backup. The Spinal Injuries Association is another charity. It's, it's almost, it's, it's reach out and connect with people. It's actually talk to people. It's, it's difficult. I mean, there's lots of social media there, but a lot of our older patients don't have that technology. So yeah. it's almost, if you're low, reach out to somebody. Should it be a GP? Should it be back to spinal unit? Just lift that phone and talk to somebody when, when you're low. And then you can be signposted of who's out there that can help. I really love this idea, Tracy, that you said that. And that demands, for those of us that are listening to this, that haven't, you know, just thinking, what do I do? What Tracy's, what you're really saying there is we have to make that first step. We have to just pick up the phone. So if you're listening to this, pick up the phone, make that connection or whichever way you want to communicate. But you have to take that first step. Once you've made that first step, there's every chance there are, there's going to be a lot coming back at you. But it does demand that initial picking up the phone and doing it. Now, also, one thing I, I wanted to touch on, there's, there's a few things, there's so little time, um, is families 
Laith talked a lot about this and I, I was so brave. So often the focus is on the person who has, you know, had the accident or suffers with, with illness in whatever way, shape or form. But there are people around them that are also really trying to adapt to a totally new way of life. What support is there for families that are... that, that, that they, they may be children or they may be partners or friends or work colleagues. In the spinal units, there we have a family and friends counsellor that um, partners, family can go and book and have several um, meetings with, either with um, the family member who's got the spinal cord injury. Um, we run Relatives Day four times a year where... Um, the, the relatives can come with a friend or a colleague because um, it's quite a big day for them and um, the children can come as well and um, there's a separate day for, the, for them that they can actually meet other children whose parents um, or relatives have a spinal cord injury um, and then outside of the unit um, what I would say being a partner as well is have some time out yeah. and actually get away from the spinal cord injury world because sometimes you just need to break out and actually go to the gym or read a book or have time out which I'm sure Lace would agree with and um, which says why because sometimes it's all too much and it bubbles over yeah I think also in our desire to be empathetic and compassionate uh, I think as partners and parents often we sort of climb into the skin of our partner or pa- uh, you know our children and think that, yeah, that's the only you know I've just got to try and meet their need and I sometimes have this with my children who've got special needs I, I look myself in the mirror and I say I'm not my children <laughs> you know I have to remind myself that I'm actually separate and I think that that's that's really important Chris if I could just bring you back in just how how has it been for people in your experience with the work that you're doing um, at Backup and for yourself. How has it been during the pandemic? Yeah, really great question. Um, throwing it quickly back to uh, just the, to the family support. Um, like Tracy said, um, the relative stays there. We we do help in on those as well. Uh, we also have um, recognised it and um, have set up a, a family um, support network for ourselves. Um, so um, patients um, and their and their family members can talk to somebody um, with one of our trained volunteers. Maybe you know it's a husband or wife or a brother and sister. Um, so that again on a on a peer level they can talk to somebody um, via us to you know to to chew the fat and and to talk through things that you know somebody that's been there and and, and gone through it already. Um, but yeah, you're right. COVID has put extra um, strains and, and restrictions onto um, not what um, a normal rehab would look like. Um, limited visits into um, into the units from not just um, support from charities, um, but you know more directly from their family and friends. Um, We've, again, we've tried to recognise this as a charity and adapted our services. So although we're not going in um, every you know, two months to, to teach wheelchair skills to people, um, we've actually set up an app which is going to be released soon, which um, breaks down our wheelchair skills session virtually um, so people can have that on their phone. On their phone. Um, we're actually looking to try and run some virtual wheelchair skills sessions with all the spinal units across the UK. Um, so hopefully we're talking to our contacts there to get those set up. Um, and as well, um, like a lot of people have, have come across is Zoom is a very popular word and, and people know about this quite well. Uh, we have a backup lounge which was running from the start of the lockdown weekly um, with 
different lockdown uh, procedures in place now. We're actually running um, a, a, a backup lounge every other week for people that have uh, had an injury and are, are been discharged and are, are out in the community. Um, but also we're, we're doing a Ask Us Anything lounge, which is running on the, the opposite week to the to the backup lounge for, for patients that are actually in hospital um, and, and rather being sort of paired up with with people that are a bit further into their injury um, just having sort of a safe space to to talk to people um, similar to those cells that are newly injured that might have lots of questions flying around which they can't access the the normal support to get those questions answered I often think it's about finding the right question even some of you don't know what you don't you don't know what you need sometimes. I think it's having those conversations. You go, oh, that's I, that's what I need. I didn't know that's what I needed. I love also the creativity that has come out of lockdown. It feels like people are just going, okay, what can we do now? And I love the fact that you've talked about an app. I mean, those kinds of things are really creative and really good. We're running out of time. So I've got two really quick questions. One for you, Chris, and one for you, Tracy. Chris, if others are hearing about the work that you're doing and they would like to get involved, how do they do that? Um contact us uh, we're, we're the charity that we we have we couldn't run how we do without the volunteers that we have um, we try and support the volunteers that, that work with us as best we can um, and we you know we train them up to be mentors to be to be wheelchair skills trainers um, and we're, we're always in need of those people so yeah look at find us on the website give us a call into the office um, and we'll you know help those people help you know give back like like all of us do it back up and um I've, i found that you know 10 years after my injury i've lived a bit of a life with my spinal cord injury and, and i felt like I, I could give back um and you know like you say you don't know what you don't know a, a lot of it is not hard but it's just you have to have that lived in experience to you know to guide people through the pitfalls that you might have gone through yourself Thank you so much, Chris. And for you, Tracy, if there are people that are listening today, they may not be people that have had a spinal cord injury. We, you know, this podcast covers all kinds of different situations, but people are feeling completely isolated. Like, I, I don't even know the first idea about how to, to connect with others. What advice? That's a big question, but what advice would you have for them? I think is that you're not on your own. And I think, as we said earlier, picking up that phone and connect with somebody, because I'm on the phone every day to patients um, for different things and listening is really valuable. And rather sometimes we jump to signposting and resources, we underestimate sometimes how helpful it can be for people just to have someone to listen to them. It's just for a short time, just to get their thoughts in order, is that sometimes they, they don't, they just need to be understood and heard and sometimes not necessarily having to fix it. They just know that somebody yeah. on the other end of the line and a problem shared is a problem halved. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode of In Good Company. On behalf of Fittleworth, I'd like to thank all of our guests, Laith, Tracy and Chris, for joining me today to share their inspirational stories and offer their support and advice. If you'd like further information and support with the different ways you can reconnect with people, you can download the accompanying support pack filled with tips and advice at www.fittleworth.com forward slash in good company. If you have any questions you'd like answers to, please email marketing at fittleworth.com or tweet fittleworth at fittleworthmed. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>